0: Tomorrow is the second anniversary of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It is believed that as many as 500,000 people have died on both sides. Uh, Things have not been going well of late for Ukraine, and most of that is because some in the West uh, seem to have gone wobbly on the whole thing, and they're running out of ammunition. Adam Zivo went to Ukraine to get a first-hand impression and to report back to the National Post on the conflict, and then stayed. He's in Canada right now, but has spent the bulk of the last two years in Ukraine and joins us now. It's good to have you. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks
1: for having me back on the show.
0: How do you reflect on this second anniversary? I mean, it's worth noting when the Russians invaded, apparently they took their parade uniforms because they thought they'd be marching through the streets of the capital in victory within days. Well, on one hand,
1: uh, it's incredible that the Ukrainians have fought so hard and done so well, given the circumstances. On the other hand, I can't help but feel uh, a sense of frustration and sometimes even rage, uh, because the fact that this war is still going on is in many ways uh, a product of the West's reluctance to provide enough support. If the West had simply given Ukraine the weapons that it needed earlier in the year, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And we kept on worrying about escalation. We said, for example, don't send HIMARS rockets uh, to Ukraine because that could escalate. Don't send tanks because that'll escalate. Because many in the West didn't realize that Vladimir Putin escalates when he sees weakness, not when he sees strength. And as a result, the Russians were able to build up enough defenses for the counterattack to fail last summer. And now there's this exhaustion in the West, and it was all so unnecessary. Um, So yes, I feel
0: irritated and, and, and frustrated. Now you still have a partner who's in Ukraine. I'm sure you have friends as well. What are they telling you about sort of day-to-day life and the the sort of grim prospects at the moment? I don't know if the Russians are going to overrun them, but at the moment, uh, Ukraine is weak. Well, there's a
1: sense of despair, right? And things looked so much better a year ago, but Uh, Everyone is worried about what will happen. Everyone's worried about increased mobilization. Everyone's worried about uh, the air defense systems not having enough rockets to function. And that means that all of Ukraine becomes incredibly dangerous. I spent most of the past two years living in Odessa, which is four hours from the front line. And uh, it was relatively safe because when the Russians sent missiles and drones, over 80% of that was shot down by Western-provided air defenses. So people could still live with some degree of comfort. The co- economy could still survive. And when we heard air raid sirens and saw the stuff flying towards our city, we felt relatively okay. Now... I worry every day about what happens if these defenses run out. What happens if my friends start dying? What happens if my boyfriend starts, like, what if he dies? Uh, You know, I had a conversation with my boyfriend recently about uh,
0: where does he escape to if Odessa falls. It's grim. What do you say to those who insist here in Canada and the United States and elsewhere, this is not our fight? Two ways to look at it. There's a moral perspective, and then there's the self-interested perspective.
1: And I think the moral perspective is pretty self-evident. You know, it's pretty appalling to allow one country to commit a gen- uh, cultural genocide against the other because that's what Russia wants to do. It wants to eradicate the very essence, the existence of the Ukrainian nation. Uh, but from a self-interested perspective, and that's a perspective that I understand as well. Uh, I think it's imperative that Ukraine survive this war because if Ukraine were to fall, then the war wouldn't end there. Russia clearly has intentions to retake the Baltics, to possibly attack Poland. It's expressed those intentions multiple times. So uh, the fall of Ukraine would mean escalation of war in Eastern Europe and then that would have spillover effects in the rest of the world. For example, if Western allies lost faith in the United States' ability to support its partners, you would see increased tensions in, in East Asia. Uh, Japan is already remilitarizing because it's afraid of China. Uh, so Japan's remilitarization, remilitarization would likely accelerate. Maybe you would see you know renuclearization from Japan. You'd see conflict in Taiwan. And then if we're going to focus specifically on Canada, We don't actually have a lot of threats to our country, but we do have one very important one, which is our North. We've always had a tenuous control over our Northern territories and Arctic sovereignty is emerging issue as new shipping lanes open up in uh, our Northern territories because of global warming. And the main threats to our Arctic sovereignty are Russia and China. So it simply makes sense for us to support Ukraine's victory over Russia because crippling Russia now protects us in the medium term. The small amount of money that we're sending to Ukraine right now saves us a lot of money in defending our North 10,
0: 20, 30 years from now. Adam, thank you for this. Ah, Thanks for having me. Adam Zivo, you can read him in the National Post, although increasingly uh, he's been doing a series, actually, about um, supervised injection sites and drugs. He's actually the head of an organization now called the Center for Responsible Drug Policy. He and I don't agree on the politics uh, and philosophy of all of that stuff, but it doesn't prevent us from being friends.